The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Good morning, church. It's great to see you guys. Uh, if you're new around here, and I imagine a few of you are, uh, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Steadfast Church, and I just want to welcome you. Uh, really, really thankful that you would take time uh, to worship with us this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 13. That's where we will be this morning. Uh, a couple quick Notes, if you are uh, new around here and you would like to be known, uh, there are connect cards in your seat, uh, in the seat back there in front of you. Uh, you can grab one of those, just fill it out at any point during the gathering, and then those can get placed in the black boxes at these two exits right here. Those are our giving boxes. Uh, we would love to know that you were here, how we can serve you, how we can pray for you, those kind of things. Uh, additionally, if you have a prayer request, the back side of that card can be used for prayers, uh, and so you can fill out that prayer uh, request, put it in the box, and our staff uh, prays every Monday for the requests that have been made known. Uh, secondly, as uh, Pastor Mark mentioned, it has taken an incredible amount of work over the last uh, 60 days, 90 days to, uh, to get moved in here finally and to have uh, Kids Wing open and all that. And so uh, first and foremost, I want to say thank you to all of you who volunteered for work days or who came by midweek. If you'll do me a favor, if you came to a work day uh, over those Saturdays, if you were here midweek, if you helped in any capacity as a volunteer, uh, would you just stand for me really quick? I want to honor you. All of those who helped, yeah, let's thank those. Thank you. Uh, additionally, I just want to say thank you to, uh, specifically to Robbie Green, Kelly, uh, Ryan Steed, who is somewhere, I think, upstairs. Um, we now have the ability to live stream from this building, so all of our homebound members, anyone who's sick or traveling who wants to tune in can do that, and so uh, thank you to them specifically. Uh, and then finally, I just want to say thank you to my staff, and so can I have all, any of my staff that are in the room, could you stand? There not, might not be many of us. <laughs> I see Don back here. Don Steed. Let's, uh, where's Sam Bennett? Okay. <laughs> Hannah Manning. There's three. Okay. Uh, Hannah Manning and then, uh, and then Matt, of course, Matt Beckler. Uh, and, and Ryan Krishnan, uh, one of our elders, kind of oversaw this project. And so I want to say thank you to him as well. Yeah, we, we're really thankful. Okay, I, th I probably missed some people, so forgive me if I missed you, uh, but you're included in everybody, so thanks everybody <laughs> for helping us get in here. This is great, isn't it? Yeah. All right, well let's turn our attention to the word. Um, we have been, we started last week this series called Groundwork. Uh, if you were with us last week, I said that we're not only beginning a new year, but in many ways we're, we're beginning a new congregation as Missy O'Day Church and Bent Creek Church have come together as one. And so we're spending the first six weeks of this year uh, looking at the word to understand what kind of church the Lord, we believe the Lord wants us to create here, what he wants us to become and there's really only three kinds of church. I uh, saw an article a number of years ago that mentioned three types of churches, okay? One is a movement. And a movement is a healthy church where the people are hungry for God, where there's a sense of mission, where they are equipping the saints and they are making disciples. Okay, that's a movement. The second type of church is a monument. And a monument uh, is marked by self-satisfaction, 
eager to maintain the status quo and slowly leveling off and becoming ingrown. And then the final kind of church, according to this article, was a mausoleum. An unhealthy church in steep decline with no life or vitality, but only a remembrance of former days. Obviously, by the title of this series, we believe God is calling us to be a movement for the sake of Jesus so that other people might know him. And so this series, this six-week series, as I mentioned last week, is serving essentially as our inaugural membership class. And so at the end of this six-week period, those of you, whether you were formerly part of Bent Creek or formerly part of Missio Day or somewhere in between, will have the opportunity uh, to indicate that you want to become uh, a member, a covenant member of Steadfast Church. So last week, we started with the, the foundation of any church, which is the gospel. We looked very simply at John 3.16 in the gospel of Jesus Christ and our response to the gospel, which is worship, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. But the gospel does not just make individual Christians. The gospel produces a new kind of community. And gospel-centered churches are living proof that the good news is true, that Jesus is real, and that anyone can belong. And so we're going to turn our attention to John 13 this morning to see some words from Jesus about what it means to be the people of God. So if you'll join me, I'm going to read sections, okay? So we'll look at the first five verses, then I'll skip to verses 12 to 15, then verses 34 and 35, which is where we will camp out for the rest of this morning, but uh, it'll be on the screen, I believe, as well, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, but uh, there should be one there if you don't have a copy of God's Word. So let's look at John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was around him. Now verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. And now verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to be gathered together, and um, what a joy it is to open the scriptures the living and active word of God. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Um, 
by your spirit and through your word, and that is to minister to us, to, uh, to reveal truth to us, to convict, to challenge, to encourage, to rebuke, to transform. Lord, I, I have no power in my words, but your words have power and authority. And so I pray that in this time of um, study, as we look to your word, that you would do this work in our souls, that you would draw us into deeper um, dependence upon the Lord Jesus, that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would form us into this kind of people that you are calling us to be for your glory and by your grace. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, so three uh, very sort of rudimentary uh, observations I want to make here. Uh, the first one is a gracious command. If you're a note taker, you can write that down, a gracious command. Now, as we already read here in the text, this is the night before Jesus is arrested, before he's crucified. He's sharing a final meal with his 12 disciples who have so far failed to quite get it. In fact, um, in my own Bible reading plan already this year, uh, it's got me in the Gospel of Mark, and um, uh, multiple times in the Gospel of Mark so far, Jesus has said, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to die on a cross, I'm going to rise again. And it always says after that, and the disciples didn't quite understand what he meant by that. (laughs) And so he takes the position of a servant. The text tells us that in the middle of the meal, he gets up and he takes off that outer garment and he takes the lowest position to wash the feet in this uh, culture was the lowest servant position because they were barefoot or they wore sandals and um, you just kind of walked through whatever was on the road. You know what I mean? And so at a meal, you would want to wash your feet so that you were clean. No one had taken that position yet. So Jesus takes that position. And one by one, he goes to each disciple and he washes their feet and dries them. Even Judas, who's going to betray him. And at the end of the uh, meal, he says to them, do you understand what I've done for you? And of course they don't. (laughs) And neither would we. Judas departs and Jesus begins to teach. And he says here in verse 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. A new commandment I give you. What does it take for you to be able to to command someone something? Authority, right? Jesus is speaking to his disciples as the one who has been given all authority on heaven and in earth. And he says to them, I command you. A new commandment I give you. Uh, He's speaking with authority. It's also a plural you. So a new commandment I give to you, which is not just to the individual disciples who are there, but to every one of us who would read this text. He's commanding all of us who have surrendered our lives to the Lordship of Christ to love one another. In the original language, uh, this is emphatic, meaning there's, there's feeling. Jesus feels this strongly. Like this really matters. It's, it's not a new option I give to you. It's not a new suggestion I give to you. It's a mandate. Love one another. Now, here's what occurs to me. This is the night before Jesus is executed. And a lot of things could have been on his heart and mind. Right? He could have said anything here. Hey, listen, I'm going to die 
I got some last parting words for you before I go. He could have said anything, but this, this, what was on, this is what was on his heart and his mind. Love one another. So what kind of people need to be commanded to love one another? People like us. People like you and me. Now think about the disciples for a minute. If you've read the Gospels, and I assume many of you have read through the Gospel accounts, how often do we see the disciples of Jesus proud, rude, dismissive, unbelieving, deserting? Hours from this moment, every single one of the disciples is going to desert Jesus. And that's so often us too, isn't it? Despite what we say we believe about who Jesus is. Despite what we say we believe about the kingdom of God. Despite what we say about Jesus' authority over our lives. Despite what we say about humanity and how they have value in the eyes of the Lord. We treat people rudely. We are dismissive. We're proud. We are arrogant, right? We are self-serving in so many different ways. And uh, Francis Schaeffer, who um, was a, a theologian, uh, American theologian, he passed away in the early 80s. Um, many of you may be familiar with, with Schaefer. Uh, he said, and, and I think he's right about this, that a church must be known not only by its orthodoxy, its theology, but by its orthopraxy, or the way that it lives out what it believes. In other words, he said, a church must be known for its purity of doctrine and the reality of its community by the grace of God. And that by the grace of God is very, very important because every one of us leans one way or the other. Some of us lean heavy into doctrine and theology and others of us lean heavy into community. But see, truth without grace is harsh and ugly and hypocritical. But grace without truth is mushy and cowardly and weak. And left to ourselves, we are all going to default to one or the other, either to truth or to grace. So we will all get it partly wrong, but we won't feel like we're wrong because we'll be partly right. (laughs) But Jesus is full of grace and truth. And it's only as we surrender ourselves to Jesus, it's only as we depend wholeheartedly on Jesus that he makes us more like himself from the inside out. When we are his, when we belong wholeheartedly to him, you know what he does? He gives us himself. And slowly but surely over time, we begin to change. We begin to look more like Jesus from the inside out. And it's only the presence of the living, resurrected Christ that can make Christians and churches this gospel-centered. You guys with me so far? So we see here this gracious command, love one another. Here's why I call it a gracious command. Notice that he says here, a new commandment I give to you. He get, it's a gift. 
And what that reminds me of is this, that Jesus never demands something from us that he doesn't also provide or empower us to do. So if he says, I command you to love, guess what? He is going to empower us to love like that. That's good news because we can't do it in and of ourselves. So by his grace, he empowers us to do what he commands us to do. And the command is to love one another. Now, secondly, I want you to see here a gracious example. Look at the text again. A new commandment I give you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Hmm. You are to love one another as I have loved you. Now, he says this is a new commandment, and it is. But if you're a student of the Bible, you might know that the command to love others is all through the scriptures. In fact, it appears at least 1,400 years before Jesus. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. They were to love others as we love ourselves. We've heard that one before, right? Love others as you love yourself. But see, Jesus here, as he's speaking to his disciples, he ups the ante. He says, no, no, don't just love other people the way you love yourself. I want you to love other people the way I have loved you. That's different. How has Jesus loved us? What did we learn last week? He so loved us. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he sent his only son Here's at least three things. Jesus loves us unconditionally. Jesus loves us sacrificially. And Jesus loves us steadfastly. I like that one. <laughs> unconditionally. Aren't you glad that Jesus did not put any contingencies on his love for you? Aren't you glad Jesus did not say to you, hey, listen, I'll accept you. I'll love you, but first, you've got to clean up your act. I mean, look at you, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get the mud off yourself, then come back to me when you're presentable, and then I'll love you. Does Jesus do that? And praise God, he doesn't. Because none of us would come. None of us would be worthy to come. But he doesn't base his love on you based on your worth. But on his being love. Now that means practically, there are going to be people in this community that are hard to love. Jesus' love is for the long haul. I love that we read that, those words of assurance that there's no condemnation in Christ. You've heard me say this before, some of you, that if there's no condemnation, that means there must only always be the opposite of condemnation, which is assurance, affection, acceptance, approval. That's what belongs to us in Christ forever. The love of Jesus shows up and it stays. It does not give up. It does not give up. Uh, in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which many of you know about um, Sally Lloyd-Jones, it's, it's an amazing little uh, Bible book for kids with a bunch of the stories in it and how they point to the gospel. And she calls the love of God the never-ending, 
unbreaking, always and forever love, something like that. That's, that's what it is. Now, who is Jesus speaking to when he says, I want you to love one another? All of us, in a way, but right? Think about those specific disciples, okay? You've got, for example, and some of you have heard me say this before, you've got Matthew the tax collector, right? Who was a Jew who worked for the Roman government to oppress the Jews. So, like, not a good guy. Then you've got Simon the Zealot. And Simon the Zealot was almost an anarchist, right? He was wanting to overthrow the Roman government. So you've got a puppet of the Roman government, and you've got someone who wants to overthrow the Roman government, and you've got Jesus putting his arm around these two knucklehead shoulders and saying, all right, guys, this is how the world is going to know that you belong to me, that you two love one another. This is how the world will know. If we only loved people that we would love anyway without Jesus, then our love is powerless. It takes the power of Jesus Christ by his spirit to strengthen us to be able to love people that we don't really want to love, that are really hard to love, or that are so different than us that we go, I don't even know how I will love this person, but the spirit of God empowers us. And that gets noticed. As I have loved you, which means that Jesus is making himself the very definition of love. You, you understand how crazy that is? Jesus says, of all the examples of love that are out there in the world, I am the supreme. You want to know what real love actually is? Look at me. And his definition of love is so much better than the world's definition, isn't it? Um... Last night I made these tacos. I, my, my daughter told me I was going to make it into a sermon, and I was like, nah, I won't, but here we are. So <laughs> last night I made these birria tacos at home. Anyone ever heard of birria tacos? Comes with this little, like, sauce. You dip it in, you eat them. They're so amazing. I made it all myself, and I'm pretty proud of it is what I'm saying. So anyway, but I love these tacos, right? Hmm, love. I love these tacos. I love my kids. I love my wife. I hope I don't mean the same thing by those. <laughs> and in our world, we say things like, um, you see these bumper stickers all the time, right? Love wins. Or, or the most popular one these days, love is love. Which is so profound. <laughs> and what we've done is, I mean, they sound good on bumper stickers, right? And, and yet, those phrases and sentiments don't, deepen our sense of love, they actually cheapen what real love actually is. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, he demonstrated a kind of love the world had never seen before. I mean, what was it that prompted Jesus to leave the glories of heaven and descend to the earth and take on human flesh? to be despised and rejected by men? What, what prompted Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor and to set captives free and to heal the blind and to cast out demons and to uh, uh, raise paralytics and to heal the sick? What prompted Jesus to meet this uh, woman on the road to Nain who's at this funeral procession and he sees her son in the casket and and he, he looks at the woman and he feels compassion for her and he raises that son back to life. What motivated him? What, what compelled him 
to, to stay silent when he was falsely accused? What compelled him to, to, to endure beating and mockery? What, in, what allowed him to endure the crown of thorns being shoved into his head? What compelled him as he was nailed to the cross to cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We read it right here. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved us to the end. He came and lived a life that none of us could live. Sinless, perfect, holy. He died the death we all deserve. Taking all of our guilt and shame and foolishness and sin on himself. Taking the just punishment for sin on himself. He died in our place. Jesus rose on the third day conquering sin, death, and hell for us. We sing this song sometimes around here. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Because our sin does not drive Jesus to anger, it drives him to pity. Every single one of us in this room, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, every single person in this room has failed Jesus miserably this week. It might be sins of commission or sins of omission. It might be things that you did that you know you shouldn't have done. It might be things that you didn't do that you know you should have done. It could be things that you thought. It could be things that you believed, lies you believed. It could be motivations of your heart that you did good things, but you did them to make much of yourself and not just to serve someone else. Every one of us. And Jesus says to us in our sin, bring it to me. That's why I died. Bring it to me. Have you received that kind of love? Are you confident that you know that you are loved like that? Because it's only that kind of love that actually starts to change you. And this, this otherworldly love that comes down from above creates a whole new heart in us and it creates through us a whole new kind of community. So let's look at the last verse here. Still hanging with me? Look at verse 35. I want you to see here, last point, a gracious witness. A gracious witness. So he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how's the world going to know that we belong to Jesus? Is it our bumper stickers? Is it our t-shirts the ones that look like corporate logos but instead of subway it says his way you know stuff like that is it our politics 
Is it our social media accounts and posts? Lord, help us, I hope not. Jesus says the best apologetic for the validity of Christianity is not an argument, it's a community. By this, all people, all means all. (laughs) By this, everyone, whether they believe in me or not, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, we are called, of course, to love everyone, right? We are, as Christians, we are called to love the world, to love the people in the world. But in a unique way, the way that we love one another in the church demonstrates that we are a new family from above, that we belong to God. We are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. In fact, Jesus, in um, many places, but I think of um, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is teaching and some people come to him and they say, hey, uh, your mom is outside and she thinks you're crazy. She wants to take you home. And he goes, who is my mother and my brother and my sister? Those who do the will of God are my mother and father and brother and sister. And he's speaking uh, the way that Jesus talked about his primary community, his disciples. Over and over and over again, he uses the word Adelphoi, which, which is, um, if you think about like Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, uh, Phila is uh, uh, love and then Delphoi is brother or sister, right? So it's the city of brotherly love. The most ironic name a city has ever had. Um, just kidding. So Jesus primarily refers to his disciples as brothers and sisters, as his family, God our Father, those who belong to Jesus, brothers and sisters within that family. And you and I might look at Jesus calling his disciples brothers and sisters and whatever, and we think, oh, that's sweet. Like, he's, it's sentimental, right? He's, it's his family. But this was shocking and scandalous to first century ears. Because in the first century, family was everything. In these traditional cultures, and there's still cultures in the world today who who live like this, but um, you belonged to your family. You were responsible to your family primarily. And your family had priority over your individual rights and needs. But in the West, especially in America, we have redefined Freedom as radical autonomy. I only belong to myself. I'm not dependent on anybody. No one else can be dependent on me because I am my own person and I am autonomous. So much so, um, some of you, I'm sure all of us are familiar with the character Spock from Star Trek. Okay, Do you remember Spock's uh, phrase, his, his, uh, his saying, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? See, that, that concept was so radical and, and so shocking to American ears, we made that guy an alien. <laughs> but Jesus says your commitment to your church family is, should be so unique that it puts on display this otherworldly love that bonds you together. Peter later will will say that Christians are peculiar people. (laughs) And it's not that we're just weird for being weird sake. It's that we're weird in the way that we love one another and are committed to one another as the people of God. Somewhere along the way, I heard this phrase that I I, I love. It says um, that the church is the model home 
of the new neighborhood that Jesus is building that will last forever. (laughs) In other words, we are a, a prophetic sign of the coming kingdom of God that you can see and actually join right now. So it's, it's easy for us to call ourselves Christians, right? We can say we belong to Jesus and, and belong to the church all we want, but the biggest indicator is, is there any family resemblance? Is there any family resemblance? Talk is cheap, right? So Jesus has called us together as the church to be a living proof of who he really is, not a living denial, which means that being part of a church, being committed to the church, has to mean more than attending a couple times a month when we don't have other stuff going on and having a few Christian friends. It means we belong to each other. It means we are responsible for and to one another. It means that in some ways, the church family takes priority over our own individual needs which sounds a little like cultish, right? Like some of us are like, I don't know if I can get on board with that. And I feel the same way. And I lead this thing. (laughs) So that's how countercultural this family of God is that Jesus calls us to belong to. So how do we square what, what Jesus calls us to with our current view and commitment to one another as the church? It's a question you'll have to answer on your own. Now, some of us might be asking, hey, this sounds wonderful, but I don't even know where to begin to become this kind of person who loves the way Jesus loves, to be so committed to the people of God the way Jesus is. Um, Flip with me to John 15 really quickly if you got your Bible in front of you, because Jesus reiterates this command, and he gives us the answer. How do we become this kind of people who love the way that Jesus loves? Look at uh, John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, then what? Work harder? (laughs) Try, be better? No, abide in my love. Abide just means stay right there. Camp out there. If he is the vine and we are the branches, then the only way we start to demonstrate the love of God to one another is to abide in the love of Jesus for us. It doesn't come by copying him. It doesn't come by imitating him. It doesn't come by trying really hard and doing a lot of good things. If he is the vine and we are the branches, then as we abide in him, as we remain in him, as we stick close to him, then his love flows freely through us. His love comes into our lives and it flows out of our lives to other people like a rushing river. Not like the Dead Sea. Okay, um, I have the privilege of being able to go to Israel this May. I'm super excited about that, and I hope to get to see the Dead Sea, to see the sea. And you know about the Dead Sea, right? It's mineral rich, right? It ha- it's just full of all these minerals and, 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 and vitality, uh, you know, good stuff, but it, ha- it has no outlet. And so it's so mineral rich that nothing can grow, nothing can live or survive in that water, which is why it's called the Dead Sea. And that's how some of us live. We are so full of gifts. We are so full of uh, blessings. We are so full 
of um, the Lord's hand on our lives and we just sort of keep it all to ourselves rather than letting those gifts and that love flow through us to others as we're called to. So, so we as the church stay connected to the vine, that's Jesus. His love flows into us. He infuses us with this otherworldly love and empowers us to love as he loved because we love with his love. We don't have to muster up our own kind of love. It's the love of Jesus that flows through us to others. Now listen, I don't have much time left. I don't know what will become of the public witness of the churches in the rest of our community. I don't know what will become of the public witness of the churches in this state or even in this nation. But I know, I am confident in what Jesus wants to do here among us. He wants to give us his love so that the watching world is compelled when they look in on this to say, I know Jesus is here. And I want to know how I can get in on it. Now, very practically, very, very practically, in the last minute and 18 seconds I've got with you, it starts with showing up. It starts with showing up. This is not a guilt trip to anybody. I know we all have stuff going on. But if we don't prioritize gathering with the family, we will never, we will never see this come to fruition. Okay? So being here together is a big deal. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul talks about how we are being built together as a spiritual house, as a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. Which means, now we all have the Spirit of God dwelling within us if we are followers of Jesus, but there is something unique and special about the church being gathered together in a unique presence of God's Spirit among us as the church when we gather. And who wants to miss that? And so it starts with showing up. There are, I should have put a slide together with this, but I just want to give you a couple of dates. There are some specific family events that we would love for you to be part of. Now, I don't know if you know this, but we do this thing every single Sunday. <laughs> so you can just go ahead and calendar that mug, okay? <laughs> uh, Ash Wednesday is February the 22nd. And Ash Wednesday kicks off the season of Lent, which is just a 40-day season of slowing down and contemplating as we approach uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, it's a Wednesday, uh, February 22nd, we will have an Ash Wednesday gathering. We'd love for you to be part of that. Easter this year is April the 9th. April the 9th. Share meals, share their lives, even the unflattering parts of themselves with one another, don't they? So our responsibility as the church, as members of the church, is to be known to be vulnerable, to be open. Uh, that might start with being part of a community group or a Bible study or a Sunday school class, okay? Having, like, in a gathering like this, it's hard to really get to know somebody. But when you get into a smaller group, you know, um, and I, small is a loose term because my small group has 25 people in it, but you know, it's a start. Um, Getting into smaller community, the aim is that we go deeper than just superficial Sunday relationships. Amen? 
Let's try that again. The aim is that we go deeper than Sunday morning superficial relationships. Amen? Amen. There we go. Okay. The kind of people you call at 3 a.m., not just because you're lonely, but because you have a need. (laughs) We all need that. We all want that. We want to be that for one another. Uh, And then finally, uh, contribute. So we show up, we participate, and we contribute. Every member of the family of God has a part to play. In a healthy and vital church, every member has a part to play. The use of our time, the use of our energy, the use of our gifts, the stewardship of our dollars, and maybe most importantly, the calluses on our knees from our prayers. So um, as you consider going forward as part of this church family, I want you to think through, okay, how, how do I steward the time, the energy, the gifts, the resources, the prayers that I have for the sake of this community? Now, there are needs. I told you before we moved back over here, um, this is an all-hands-on-deck moment, okay? And about half our hands decided to jump in, okay? So for the other half of our hands, this is an all-hands-on-deck moment. There are needs everywhere, okay? And this isn't like, it's not desperation. We want, we're praying that the Lord brings the right people into the right places, okay? But it takes a lot to pull off a Sunday. It takes a lot to do kids ministry every Sunday morning. It takes a lot to do Awana uh, on Wednesday nights here. 27 kids, I think, were here this last week, okay? And, and, and there are, there's a need for people to help with that. Our uh, new expanded tech ministry up there, shepherding team, community group leader, I mean, you name it, there are needs around. And so I want you to pray about the, the abilities, the skills, the gifts, the time that you will carve out to be part of the church and to offer those things to the Lord by serving wherever you're gifted to serve. Can we do that? Okay. All right. All right. You can let us know. Take a connect card and say, hey, I'm gifted at this. How can you use me? Or I want to serve in a one. I want to serve in kids ministry. I want to serve on shepherd team or whatever it is. We'll get you plugged in. Okay. As I wrap up, and I probably should because I've gone way too long, uh, I got three questions we're going to put up on the screen for you. You can uh, write these down as they come. You can take a picture uh, when they're all up, but I'd love for you to take these with you as you go. First question is this. What keeps me from glad submission to the kind of love that Jesus commands? Jesus' commands should be met with glad submission. It is our joy to obey the commands of our Lord Jesus. But there are things that get in the way. When he says, I want you to love one another as I've loved you, we go, do I have to? Some of it's pride. Some of it's fear. Because to love other people, you've got to be vulnerable. What keeps me from glad submission to the kind of love that Jesus commands? Secondly, how does Jesus' example of love challenge and encourage me towards a deeper commitment. When I see how Jesus has loved me, and listen, we all know that at the deepest parts of ourselves, we do not understand how Jesus could love us. It's just a mystery, right? But the fact that he would love us so deeply that he would come live a life we can never live, die the death we deserve, and rise again so that any who would surrender their lives to Jesus, who would receive his finished work with empty hands, can be freed and forgiven and belong to him. How does his example of love make you want to love more deeply? Encourage you or challenge you to to have a deeper commitment to your brothers and sisters because of the way Jesus has loved you. And then finally... 
Where can I be most helpful so that this family becomes the otherworldly witness that Jesus intends us to become? As I said, we all have gifts, abilities, talents. Where can I be most helpful? So as we're going through this series, you're going to see that some of the things we do are actual and some of them are aspirational. Okay? We, we, we are striving to become this sort of otherworldly witness uh, of the love of God. So where can I be most helpful so that that vision becomes a reality? All right, I'm going to leave these questions up on the screen for you. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to uh, respond to the Lord. We do that in a few ways here at Steadfast Church. First is through communion. Now, we're experimenting with the way we do communion, okay? We do it weekly. It doesn't mean you have to take communion every week, but it's offered to you uh, as a means of grace for you to worship the Lord. So what we did last week is what we're going to do for the rest of January, and that is to start at the front. You'll come out to your left, come up the aisle, go to the table that's behind your uh, section, and then come back down the right side, okay? If you don't feel like getting up or participating today, that's okay, but we're going to do that rhythm for the next month, and then we're going to evaluate how it goes. We'll probably change it, but for this, for this week and for the rest of January, front first, out, up, back, and then from there, the next rows go, okay? If you're not a, a Christian, please don't take communion. This is for those of us who are followers of Jesus to be reminded of how deeply we are loved by Jesus, that he gave his life for us, that his body was broken, that his blood was spilled so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed, so that we could become his. And so the elements are there. Uh, there's gluten-free wafers, uh, wine or juice, whatever your conscience allows at those tables uh, in a self-serve manner. As you make your way back to your seats, uh, actually on your way to communion, there are black boxes back here if you want to give your uh, financial offering. If you are uh, new here and want to drop a connect card, if you have a prayer request, those go in the black boxes. And then um, when we come back to our seats, the band's going to lead us in a few songs. We're going to sing the gospel and celebrate the love of Jesus to us. And then we're going to uh, pray and I'll get you out of here with a benediction. So let me pray now. And then uh, we'll have just a moment of silence. When I get up, the tables will be open for communion. Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful church family that you have uh, called into being. As you have now um, brought together these, these two separate congregations into one. And so we are a blended family, if you will. And what a beautiful thing it is to see uh, all the generations represented. And all the different sort of perspectives represented. And we, what we have in common is Jesus the gospel of Jesus Christ, and our sole commitment to following after Christ with everything we have. And so, Lord, help us to become this kind of people who love with your love, who love to the end, who love ferociously, and who the world looks at the way that we love and live, and they say, Jesus must be there. They must belong to him. Make it so, Lord, for your glory and for our good and for the good of those who don't know you yet. As we respond now in repentance, in faith, uh, in worship, in giving, in communion, in singing, would you be honored and glorified and would you fill us with joy in your presence as we respond. We ask all this in the beautiful name of Jesus and pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.